Welcome to the Skeptic Wire. episode 61 of the skeptic wire on today d day the 6th of june 2012 except d day actually was you know a couple of years ago minimally yeah yes at least yes and our listeners won't be getting this today they'll get it like the 8th or yes 9th. it's either the 8th or the 9th when you're listening to this or deal three years with it. from now good we, point we hope at any point <laughs> at any point in the future of the 6th of June, 2012. You might be listening to this. this Except is, for maybe the 7th of June. <laughs> you're listening to this on greater than the June the 6th, 2012. Yes, and probably greater than the 7th. You're absolutely right. I'm just saying. So it is post-8th, <laughs> June, 2012. Hello! Hello, it's August 4th, do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's episode 61. This is where we're going to stop. This is going to be episode 61 from now on, so everyone gets the same thing. We're just going to keep repeating it. That, that's not funny at all. I'm your host, Gary Long, and with me, as per usual, are Greg Perrine. Here comes the dogs. That would be Callie. So, did it, so of your listeners who read our podcast page, whoever had the bet of interrupted in the intro, <laughs> mark that off your skeptic wire bingo, bingo card. card. <laughs> and we have Dennis Wofford. Yeah, I'm just here tonight. Yeah, me too. Um, what do we have? Well, wait a minute. I always forget this. How are you? <laughs> oh. Uh... Okay. Good. Donna? I'm yeah, doing pretty well tonight, actually. Des- despite the insanity of the last couple weeks on the internet, I am still going to TAM this summer. Oh. So. Just ignore it. Just ignore it and hit on people in the elevators. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, Gary, Gary, Gary. <laughs> I said people. Or, I didn't say girls. Or you could insult your podcasters at that you listen to at, at events, kind of like I got insulted at the Reason Rally. I got told that I had a face made for, for podcasting. By that's, whom? That's By nice. some douche. Well, Whoever that douche is, he knows who he is. Well, the thing is, I already know that. <laughs> I already know that I should be more podcasty, less vodcasty. <laughs> okay. Way to support her. No, I. I should be. I was talking about me. <laughs> It was it. It made me have a I don't feel so pretty day, but I'm over it now. You're beautiful. <laughs> I'm not pretty, not so pretty, but I can <laughs> kick your ass, and <laughs> I have lots more degrees than you do. <laughs> but I'm smarter. I'm gonna. I don't know. Yes, you know, beauty. <clears throat> yeah. Beauty is only skin deep, but stupid lasts forever. <laughs> right. Uh, yes. Uh, do we? Okay. No, no, forget it. Let's just bullshit. Forget the birthday thing. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's hear you pronounce the words you were working on. <laughs> yes. Well, what was that name? Well, first, Gooley Elmo. <laughs> no, no. Born June sixth, eighteen fifty. Carl Ferdinand Brown. 
Brown. Uh, yeah. Was he an Did inventor of the Did you change it just rocket? so you'd have somebody easy to say? No, no, I didn't change it. We'll get to that in a second. Was oh no, that was that was uh, Von Braun, uh, the the guy who did the the rockets. Oh, I thought you were talking about Ava Braun. No, 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 no. no. Hitler's chick. Yeah. <laughs> Vegetarian. Carl Ferdinand Braun. Yes. Did he write that book about the little bull that didn't want to be angry? No, not about the bull Ferdinand. No. I'm not familiar with that. He was a German inventor, physicist, and he won a Nobel Prize in physics. Wait, when? In 1906? Wow. 1909. Sorry. I flipped the six. Brown worked a lot on... um, He developed cathode ray tubes. He worked with semiconductor stuff. Cathode ray tubes? Cathode ray tubes. (laughs) What? That's that little camera that goes up your pee-pee. Yes. <laughs> I said cathode. Yes, you did. I'm just purposely mishearing. Oh, I give up. <laughs> Do they even have CRT? Okay, okay. <laughs> How about this? In Germany, they're they're not. They call still call them brown tubes, brown tubes. They, they really they they used to because I mean, who makes CRTs anymore? Not so much anybody anymore, but you know they yeah. they they still wanted they they were very proud of their German as well they guy, should be. so sure. they called them brown tubes. Okay. I don't, maybe tube was different. Maybe it's Glurken Fleikensteiken or whatever German equivalent of tube is. Hmm. I I don't know. But anyway, we're not gonna look it up. All right, continue. He also worked a lot with. Wait, call Pete. <laughs> <laughs> How do you pronounce this? What's tube in German? Auf Deutsch bitte. <laughs> okay. That means in German. German, please. I see. I <laughs> I failed French. So. Yeah. So I surrender. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Brown also worked a lot on wireless technology for telegraphs and stuff like that. And that's what he and... Guglielmo Marconi worked a lot on... Wait, Guglielmo? <laughs> yes, that was the Googly... guy who founded founded Google. That was their yes, great-great-grandfather. Guglielmo. Guglielmo. Is it actually Googly? Oh. Or is it like Guglielmo? Guglielmo. G-U-G-L-I-E-L-M-O. Guglielmo. Guglielmo Marconi. Okay. So Braun worked on a lot of wireless technology, making the the range of wireless telegraphy longer and longer. And Guglielmo Marconi kind of you can't just say Marconi used. <laughs> no, well, okay, Mister Marconi used a lot. Doctor, of... <laughs> I'm sorry. Point, point, point to Mister One. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell do you edit these things together every week, Gary? I'm not making my job any easier, am I? <laughs> between, between me fucking up, between me and mispronouncing names, and between you trying to make me fuck up and mispronounce names, how do we ever get a show out? 
Easy. I just sit here and cruise Facebook and just let the two of you go at it. I, I have a time machine, and I go into the future and get the one that's already produced. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Carl Braun did not invent a time machine, but worked a lot on wireless technology. And like I said, in 1909, he and Guglielmo Marconi shared a Nobel Prize in physics. Yes, for... because if he had invented the time machine, he'd be here right now <laughs> kicking our asses. <laughs> Shut up then. <laughs> so, because of the importance of this wireless technology, Carl Braun came to the United States in the early um, 1900s before World War One broke out, because there was a wireless station um, that the Germans owned that was in New York somewhere, or whatever, and and there was this rivalry with the Marconi Corporation. So he went to protect it. It was this whole thing, and. So once war broke out, because Brown was German, he was kind of under house arrest in Brooklyn for a while. Hmm. But, you know, he, he he got to walk around a bit, but he had to stay in the States, and they had to know where he was. And um, huh. then he died in Brooklyn. Hmm. Kind of anticlimactic, but, almost, you know, Almost a sad story. But Bro- Brooklyn back then was kind of cool, wasn't it? Brooklyn is always cool and smells like pee-pee and pizza. It Has does. It always smelled like pee pee and pizza. Probably. Pizza. He had an anticlimactic death. Hmm. But who did not have an anticlimactic death because people are posting on Facebook all about him today is Ray Bradbury. Bradbury. Oh, I thought it was Richard Simmons. God, I was wrong. I hope not. No, I. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know I why say- I hope not. <laughs> The first, I'm trying not to. It was be the first me. obscure celebrity name that I could think of. Uh, I, I think that in the battle of celebrity deaths, I would imagine that unfortunately Richard Simmons, with all due respect to Mr. Simmons, his death would overshadow Ray Bradbury's death, simply Probably. because he's he's got far too many oldies. Oh wait, they may be all be to dead too. To rocking Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think just because he's he's a popular media person. You have was. even more people crying. Anyway, he's not dead, but Ray Bradbury died today, and yeah. he wrote uh, what Fahrenheit four fifty one, The Martian Chronicle, Martian, yeah. something wicked this way comes. Yeah, so a lot of uh, sci fi and lots of commentary on the human condition and society, which is quite relevant today, with the exception of the burning of the books, but the whole. Well, there was there society. Was, there was a great Onion headline about you know millions of people celebrate, uh, commemorate Ray Bradbury's death by going out and buying electronic copies of Ray Bradbury's, Ray Bradbury's <laughs> book about the death of paper books. Nice, but it, it, it's it's getting pretty close because I mean I think 451 Fahrenheit 451 had the entire wall screen, mm-hmm. and then his wife. It, the the uh, the wife in the book just spends all her time chatting with with these virtual friends virtual friends yeah so it's fairly prescient so it's Facebook <laughs> <laughs> except for the fact that you know it's not scripted the Facebook isn't scripted but it, it, apparently yeah, Ray, Ray didn't have the idea that it would be interactive so truly interactive on the other hand if you're Streaming a film 
or a soap opera out to a billion people, you can't really expect them to respond. No. But, you know, nowadays we have more of the technology that we can have a little AI computer in your house that can interact with you. Yes, and it's called Massive Multiplayer Online Games. Sure. Role-playing games. Sorry. Mop-libs. You know, uh, Raising of the Wrist to, to Ray Bradbury. Yes. Get on her. Raising of the Wrist? That would be uh, toasting. Oh, okay. Sorry. A toast to Ray Bradbury. For the you non-drinkers out there that don't get it. Right. Speaking of good things, Donna. Yeah, we have an update from Ariel and Jordan. Um, as listeners know, Jordan is in a, a custody battle. For, to get his daughter back, or at least even be able to see her and talk to her. Right now, um, that's the, the big issue. He has gotten to um, speak to her via Skype and the telephone. It's great. So, and the court has ordered mandatory, like like Twice so many hours a week. Actually, it's it's actually pretty amazing how much time he's getting. He has unfortunately had to shut down the help Ariel and Jordan Facebook help reunite Ariel, Ariel and Jordan, Jordan Facebook page. Um, due to the fact that his ex's family has found it and was starting to leave really ugly messages and everything on it. Um, and not only really ugly messages, but messages in all, all caps, caps, which is even uglier. Which I guess means... <laughs> but that they just were... makes it more true. <clears throat> yes. I guess it was just more serious for them. Um, well, they're but... very obviously very upset. Yes, obviously. <laughs> Um, but we will keep updating the story, and you can check our Facebook page and our blog posts, yep. and we will keep everybody updated. He has a court date soon, and hopefully we'll have some good news in the next couple of weeks. Yay! And then maybe we'll have uh, Jordan and or Emily back on to yeah, talk about it. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. But <clears throat> I guess that, <clears throat> excuse me, that leads us into our... What? Guglielmo Marconi. Yeah, I was the one who was saying it right. Guglielmo <laughs> Marconi. Guillermo. Right. Aha, take that, Gary. <laughs> Guglielmo is googly, kind of like the Creation Museum. Creation Museum has a new display, don't they, Donna? Oh, yes. <laughs> and everybody who reads the Facebook page should have realized that this was probably going to be the subject that I talked about. Because, um, to be honest, when I read this article, it pissed me right the fuck off. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Um, basically, the Creation Museum is celebrating their fifth anniversary, and they are planning a big exhibit, interactive, um, with like holograms and everything, dedicated to Lucy. Do they have Tupac? Uh, you know what? No, they didn't get Tupac. They only got a 3.2 yeah. yes. million year old skeleton up there. So, with hologram, well, I've, I've heard that's his nickname. And and Tupac wasn't a real hologram anyway. It was a lie. It wasn't a hologram. But yeah. the Huffington Post it said it was a hologram. Nope. It you was mean the just... Huffington Post lied to me? Yep. Could be. <gasps> so they don't have Tupac. They have Lupac. Mark Louie, who is the co-founder and chief communications officer for Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum, told the Christian Post that Lucy was chosen for a variety of reasons, namely because its main focus is due to the proponents of evolution continuing to use it as evidence for their belief. Go ahead. Here is a quote from him. 
We selected Lucy as the focus for the exhibit as a creature found in Africa, Australopithecus afarensis, and it is what evolutionists cite as the best evidence that humans have evolved from an <laughs> ape-like ancestor. Right. Okay. So can, what's can we, your first problem with that sentence? Well, they got the <laughs> Australopithecus part right. Yes, I'll give them that. And they correctly spelled it, and and they did italicize it. I'm very proud of them. <laughs> it but, kind of breaks down a little after that. Right. So when I say my best evidence, my very best evidence is a single fossil. Right. Like there mm. is a single missing Link. Yeah. There is not. For every discovery that anthropologists and paleontologists find, there is always has to be another link to tie different um, aspects of those skeletons together into a more cohesive line. Right. And Assuming- it's not exactly, and it's not really a line as much as it is really, it is a trait. Right. Because Lucy, Lucy is a cousin. Yeah, because Lucy could be the end of a line that we're not even part of. Right. It's so. part of the whole family bush. Exactly. <laughs> you, when you put it that way, it sounds really lascivious. The problem that I see is that for years, like probably about 120 years, people have always been fascinated with this idea of the single missing link. And it really kind of yeah. goes back to that whole idea of the Piltdown Man, which is one of the biggest hoaxes ever discovered. Right. Um, Piltdown Man had an orangutan jaw. It had chimpanzee teeth. And it was the cranium, the the upper half of the cranium of a human. And a little known fact, Vulcan ears. <laughs> I before, before Yes, because you can tell that from Trek. a skull. <laughs> that, that that was part of the I know, It was it I was know. embedded in the peat. That was the joke. I know. Okay. I'm just <laughs> the fake Spock ears were found you know. next. <laughs> Never mind. But So basically one... Piltdown Man, sorry. Piltdown Man was the crocoduck of... Uh, right, it really was. And it held to... I mean, it really was kind of there for a long time as this, you know, oh, look, here is, you know, here's here's the missing link. Here's how we've proven that man came from monkey. In the Piltdown skull, there are certain features that you can tell a genetic affinity for, whether they are of Asian descent, African descent, or European descent. It's the, the little serial number with the barcode. Yes, because okay. all skulls come with a label. Mark that's, of the Beast. That's that. That's how we can tell them when I'm you sure. find them. I've just been learning from creationist sites, so. Yeah. <laughs> so this cranium came from somebody of African descent, added with that orangutan thing, and they really kind of used it as this justification of, oh, look, the Africans are dumber, da-da-da-da-da, it's got this... They're the savage primitive. Right. Kind of all thing. of this. Yes. There was this, you know, and it, you know, it was justification for, excuse me, piss poor behavior on a lot of people's parts ever since then. And it was probably 80 years afterwards for the hoax to actually be discovered. And the person whose collection that it came from, it's like half of his collection was hoaxes. <laughs> Great. And there is rumor, actually, that the Piltdown is actually tied to Arthur Conan Doyle. It's one of those little rumor things. It's it's kind of odd that creationists in this display in their creationism museum are trying to more appropriate a legitimate uh, a legitimate archaeological find of Lucy as opposed to trying to say, 
hey, look at those evolutionists, which is a horrible phrase, who are who have there been these hoaxes, the Piltdown Man, the blah blah thing. You know, it's all hoaxes. We have all these examples. Um, it's interesting that they're trying to appropriate <coughs> real science as opposed to emphasize that, yeah, there have been hoaxes. Well, it, it makes sense because if you can point to, as they consider, the number one fossil uh, and then tear it right. down, they think that just tearing that one thing down will ruin the, the pillars of, of everything else. But what I find interesting is, who discovered the Piltdown Man was a hoax? Was it uh, uh, creationists? No. Or was it scientists? It was scientists. <laughs> yeah. And actually, it was one of the first cases where they used um, fluorine testing. Fluorine? Yep. It's one of the... Uh, huh. 1939, Kenneth Oakley devised fluorine testing. Um, and it's at t- in some respects, it is actually more accurate than carbon dating because it doesn't suffer from what they call the coastal effect. Hmm. Coastal effect basically says that a carbon-based dating, if you're near any sort of water, the humidity and everything is actually going to affect how your Hmm. dating goes. And so basically you end up sending it to people in California and they have massive amounts of tables that go, okay, you found it here, so we can add this or take away that many years and Or if science that builds something on lives around water, it has problems with the carbon dating because wet t-shirt contests are bad for dating. Yes. Yeah, sometimes you can get a date out of it. <laughs> Do tell. They're attacking Lucy and, and everything else. Just this, this one specific thing. They're not attacking the multitude. And when I say multitude, I mean multitude of other specimens that are out there well no because as i as i said earlier it's they look at as lucy as the pillar you remove the pillar everything comes crashing down that's that's the way they think kind of like when they point out the few things that darwin did legitimately get wrong they're like see darwin was wrong so your whole thing is fucking idiotic exactly one of the things that, that got me about it is is the fact that they keep talking about lucy's mandible which is to me it is just that straight shot maybe i'm just correlating and correlating is not causation i understand this but it's always talking about lucy's a lot of the arguments are because lucy's mandible once again that was how it was discovered that piltdown man was a hoax so it's kind of that oh look here we go we have this we have that you can see through the course of evolution from artipithecus ramidus who is about six million years old through lucy into the early homo species homo habilis homo erectus you start to see that mandible go from a very rectangular chimp-like shape to the more parabolic that that we have Hmm. you know so so when they mention things like we can see that lucy's v-shaped mandible was very ape-like nothing like that of a human that's Fucking proof, people. <laughs> that's that, that's proof in action, right well, there. Well, it's 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 the kind of thing where they're saying, well, a V-shaped mandible is nothing like humans, and a scientist says, yeah, because it's an ancestor. It's not. A it's, dire- not it's not it, quite not there a Direct yet. answer, ancestor. Yeah, and one it's, of the- it shows a, a complete misunderstanding right. of the science of evolution. Right, and another, excuse me, bitch that a lot of creationists like to make about Lucy is that, oh, they've only found 40%. 
Okay, that, you know what? That's a legitimate argument. They've only found 40%. The issue is they have found 40% in very different parts that are easily matchable. Right. So if you've got, say, 10% of an arm and 10% of a leg, you actually, because, you know, draw a line down down your body yeah. from the top of your head to your toes. Guess what? Fold you in half, you're going to match up. <laughs> yeah, and you can reproduce a lot more of a percentage just from that. Right, exactly. So this there is that whole, and it's the same as with you know it's the cranium, everything else. All of these things, yes, it's forty percent. Reality is, we can pull eighty percent of a skeleton yeah. out of Lucy. The biggest problem with Lucy is her feet. Her feet were not found toe bones and everything else, which would kind of give us that whole definitive, was she arboreal? Was she bipedal? Did, okay, did she climb in trees? Did she walk on the land? Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that would give us those things. But they have found other fossils now. Um, they have one that's called the Dinkus baby, which was found very... <laughs> you, you are so childish. The Dinkus baby. Dinkus. <laughs> Go ahead. And Dinka stole my baby. Okay, go ahead. So I had to go. <laughs> had to go for it. That's fine. I completely understand. The Dinka's baby was a three-year-old Australopithecine. They figured he or she was about three years old and had basically somehow got caught in like a, a volcanic explosion. And basically the entire skeleton was just basically frozen in place. Hmm. But the big thing was is that the feet were intact. Right. And that has, I mean, that there has been a lot of information from um, Dr. White out of UCLA. I believe he's out of UCLA. All these just, these people who've come in and said, okay, yes, her toes were curved. She could climb trees. She could walk on land. You know, all of these wonderful, you know, absolutely amazing things that we have been able to discover about Lucy from other specimens that have been found since Lucy. Since 1974, there has been literally hundreds of specimens found to contribute to the human evolution. Now, here's my one big bitch in this article. Only one? Oh, no, this is oh, my biggest one. big one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't the pitch at all. I was just, no, that, we're well, just leading up to okay, it. Okay, listeners, forget the whole last ten minutes. <laughs> this is the big one. This is the big one. This is the one where I just, I want to scream at somebody who has a PhD. The comment was made, our exhibit also demonstrates how significant artistic license can be employed in interpreting what Lucy resembled. There is simply not enough information found in the fossil bones for anyone to determine what Lucy looked like. In addition to the holographic special effects, the Lucy exhibit will include several molded casts of the head of Lucy, save with each head having different hair, skin, and eye color features. See, now, that part I thought was interesting. Okay. I, thought, I thought it was cool. And I'll, I'll, let, let me explain why, and then you can you can tear it apart. Okay. okay. All right. Um, I thought it was cool because, one, it's, it's absolutely true that you can... You can show different ways that something can be interpreted, right? And in a in a real museum, they would do that and then explain why it's wrong. And that was my idea. Okay. Was like you could you could see okay, if based on like the the way her, her uh, Lucy's hips are, 
she could walk in, in a couple of different ways. Right. Right. Generally, mostly one, but, you know, you could show her upright or down the floor. But then you could explain, after seeing it, why scientists who study these things are fairly certain that she walked like this, why they're fairly certain that she was hairy or, you know, had darker skin or whatever. So so it's kind of like the original reproductions of what they thought dinosaurs looked like, where yeah. they had them very bow-legged, like the lizards that they knew of, like, like crocodiles, and they had these big statues, but when they really took a better look at what the bones were, how they fit... They figured, oh, the legs are under the body, not bow-legged out, or yeah. the tail isn't this way, right. or, oh, this skull doesn't go with this skeleton because it's, it doesn't <laughs> Because fit it was found right. 20, 20 miles away on a different body. Right. <laughs> and that's what real science does. The, the issue that I have with this is, okay, fine, you put that up and say, here is why Lucy wasn't blonde hair and blue-eyed. Right. Because, guess what? Blonde-haired and blue eyes doesn't come out of Africa in general. Right. Natively out of Africa is what I should say. Yeah. Okay. Fine. You say that. They're, not They're going mocking to. Yes. my entire fucking degree there. Well, they're mocking the, the the scientific process. Right. I'm sorry. I'm I'm willing to say this out loud. Yes, I don't know what Lucy looked like. I'm willing to also say she did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> I'm going on record right now. But what actual, I, I forget the actual term, but like forensic recreationists can do, they know how muscle attachments show right. up on the body, how that indicates how strong a muscle was, how bulky it was, and that you can use to recreate the general shape of a face. You may not know skin tone, you may not right. know hair, but you can you can estimate these things within reasonable probabilities, and that's exactly what Gary was talking about. Right. In that you the scientists know the probabilities of well, there's a point zero one percent probability that Lucy walked on her hands and not on her legs. But this is how that wouldn't work. But there's a ninety nine percent probability she walked on all fours with occasional upright. It's yeah. Not that they're using the artistic license, it's how they stated it. Yes, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. And that's why I, I think it would be interesting for the Natural History Museum in Kentucky, or where the hell they are. They have one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Everybody's got one, don't they? Good. No. No. No? Probably not. Texas has two, though. Yeah. So, it'd be interesting and probably good for Anne natural history museum somewhere to re natural history to, museum. to sort of recreate that and then explain why things why they know this is not right because that's, right. that's one thing that's lacking uh when you go to a museum is how they know right you know and granted there's not a lot of space for all of this stuff i mean millions of fossils and millions of displays, hundreds of displays or whatever, you don't have the idea of how we know. Right. But it'd be, it'd be a nice side. The other thing, thing is is that, I mean, obviously Lucy didn't really have, you know, domicile facilities in the traditional sense of way. She spent a lot of time in the sun. She's going to be really tan. That is, you know, these are basic things <laughs> that they can... fair-skinned, <laughs> sunburned all the time. We, yeah. And we, we know that Lucy is a... A early human primate cousin 
Right. So they probably have similar coloring to other primates out there. And they're, I mean, yeah, orangutan is kind of ginger, but there's not many blonde monkeys out there. No. Nope. Especially when you start looking at the primates, especially the ones that are coming, that are out of Africa, where you have, I mean, chimpanzees, bonobos, and gorillas. Those are your three biggies. Oh, my. Be- yes. Because orangutans and gibbons, who are the other two in the primate class of the humans, they're out of um, Asia. In fact, the, the orangutan population is severely endangered. You so, know, so you look at these things, and all reconstruction is a comparative. I'm, I've done facial reconstructions. If I have a skull that I can reasonably determine and once again, this is all, it's all a matter of, of, of an arc and all a matter of percentages. I never can say this skull is 100% someone of European descent. I can say there is a likelihood of 85% that it is. It's not like on the TV show Bones where they just glance at a skeleton and say, ah, oh. this is probably a mid-50s Caucasian male who liked to play golf. Yes, <laughs> That you, is compl- you can have, do an analysis and say there's a 80% likelihood that it's Caucasian, and this is a 10-year age range, and right. and athletic, because of the wear and tear on certain right. bones. But- and whenever I have done a facial reconstruction, especially if it's you know somebody of European, likely European descent, I do one with blonde hair, I do one with brown hair, I do one with brown eyes, I do one with blue eyes, and I actually will switch the eyes on both of those just to give that skull more chance of being recognized. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, yes, it is It is an important statement that they've made, but they made it in that prissy, smarmy-ass, oh, look, we know better than you yeah. way, as opposed to saying, here are the possibilities of what she could have looked like, Here's the reason why we're saying this is what we yeah. think she looked like. Yeah. But they're not going to. Because, again, they're trying to knock down the pillars. Right. They're evolution. using science as a propaganda tool as opposed to yeah. science. Rather than realizing bad that science. evolution is, isn't is a single fossil. It's a preponderance of evidence that points to this being right. true. And, and like I said, it's in annoying every day, that they don't get that. Even and, if we didn't have any fossils whatsoever, we could look at our shared DNA do a DNA analysis of, you know, 80% of the, the animals we can find, and we would say we are all related. Yep, although no. t- the tomato is obviously the the perfect. It's, it's sort of like the, uh, the fifth element, because it has so much more genes than we do. And <laughs> but it doesn't have that quadruple helix thing that... I don't know. And like I said, I mean, and there are <laughs> discoveries not. being made every day. We have discoveries that 10 years ago... Wouldn't have been thought possible. Artipithecus ramidus and Oroentugenensis. These are finding fossils that are six to seven million years old. Nobody ever thought that we would find these. And just today, and so I'm going to have to tout this because then no, I ahead. save it for. La- I was going to save it for next week, but there's been more paranthropine fossils found. Literally just announced today. For a lay person, could you explain to me what a paranthropine the- is? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, Gary, no, bad. Hush. 
Need a gap between peen and is. <laughs> Could you explain to me the scientific importance of that particular specimen and where they fall within the range of... Paranthropines are... used to be called... used to be a division of Australopithecus, actually. Um, there were two... But there was a corporate buyout. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. Australopithecus had been lumped as a larger larger group. It has since been split. Paranthropines showing a... Basically, they were bigger, had a stronger bone structure, had bigger teeth, had all of these things. And they are actually what is believed to be sort of the direct line to humans. That paranthropines died out, and that's where the... Um, Homo habilis and Homo erectus came from, whereas the Australopithecines were kind of their cousins and smaller and basically died out. So the Paranthropines are now this. There's uh, Boisei, Robustus, and another one I can't think of off the top of my head. That these are more the direct line to human ancestry. That's the current thinking. Knowing anthropologists, it's going to change in 10 years. There's always fine-tuning as yes. other specimens are found or as more analyses are done right. on the current the specimens. big news about this new one is is that paranthropines were always found in one very specific area. They've now been found in South Africa outside of their home range. So it's actually pretty big news for anthropologists. Well, MTV picked them up for another season, so they got to go to other places. Oh, is that how it happened? <laughs> yes, exactly how it happened. Paranthropine real world, sort of. Paranthropine <laughs> world. <laughs> yeah. But, like I said, yeah, creationist absconding with my Lucy, I'm not happy. Nope. It just kind of, it's like, like gay marriage and real marriage. It kind of ruins your shirt, doesn't it? <laughs> Don't you have a shirt of Lucy? Yes, I, I have several shirts now, of Lucy. Now, now you just can't wear that shirt. No, I just can't. Just cast a pall on your shirt. Yeah. No? No. Huh. Strange. Cause, See, that's sarcasm. Yeah. I, yeah. I know you realize it, just so the people at home realize it. <laughs> but we, it is... We're so going to have to usurp- do a skeptic wire bingo. <laughs> yeah. Usurption of... Usurption? Usurp- usurping. Uh, never mind. Usurpitude? Well... They're so- fucking up science. And yes. speaking <laughs> of fucking up science... Gary, why don't you tell us about the latest machinations of politicians? Well, this is this has been it has nothing to do with Texas, or at least for once, right now it has doesn't do anything <laughs> Just for Texas. Just wait. Oh, well, That's all I no, have wait. To... We did we did have we did have a thing about climate change under Perry uh, earlier in the year last year. But so North Carolina bastard. <laughs> wait, North Carolina bastard or me? Yes, yes to both. Okay. <laughs> No, I'm not. I know who my daddy and mommy are. Um, Liar. They, they have a bill, and it's a, it's a bill to be entitled An Act to Study and Modify Certain Coastal Management Policies. That sounds bewildering. Well, it appears to be a bill to regulate uh, building or in North Carolina. Along the coastline. So a development... Development. Thank you. Regulation bill. Yeah. So they're, they're creating a commission to look at uh, development. And gotcha. 
section three, section two is what is kind of making the rounds on the internet for, for science, and we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. But section three is specifically says, the Coastal Resources Commission, that this is supposed to create, shall study the feasibility of creating an exception to commissions, to the commission's rule changes regarding oceanfront setback determinations that became effective in 2009. Uh, that may allow certain structures to continue to be regulated under the oceanfront setback determination rules that were in effect prior to 2009. So they made a change in 2009 having to do with development and how close it could be to the water, on the okay. water. Okay. Uh, and now they're looking to, to create exceptions to this rule. Um, the exceptions have to do with single-family dwellings and multifamily dwellings over 5,000 square feet. Now, that's rather interesting, isn't it? Those are kind of big. Yeah. They're, they're large houses. Um, and, oh, uh, multifamily buildings that are less than four units. So we're kind of looking at condos or timeshares or stuff like that. So all of this is about real estate. And it seems to me that the real estate lobby is pushing this through so that they can do whatever the hell they want on the water or whatever. Now, what's interesting about this is in Section 2, they made the decision to determine stuff about sea rise. So the the thing is, with global warming, everyone's talking about the seas are going to rise anywhere between 3 centimeters to oh, uh, 30 feet, right? Okay. You know, it, you know, half an inch or an inch to to flooding the East Coast and part of Texas. It depends on where you are. It depends on how things It depends accelerate. on topology, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but it, the averages are usually several feet. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. You know, the, the, the low estimates are several feet, and several feet, that's a crap load of water, and that's going to inundate the coast, right? And that, that's going to come in quite a... Because... Except for where you have cliff walls. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're talking about a couple of feet, I mean, and you have a couple of feet rise over a couple of miles, that means you've covered a couple of miles. You know, water can come in. So, Section 2 says, The Division of Coastal Management shall be the only state agency authorized to develop rates of sea level rise and shall do so only at the request of the Commission. Okay, so there's a division of coastal management, and they can only develop rates of sea level rise if the commission tells them to do so. No worries. These rates shall only be determined using historical data, and these data shall be limited to the time period following the year 1900. So, uh, no going back, you know, pre-Ice Age or post-Ice Age or Ice Age to see what levels have been Previously, so based I, on science, one analysis, one analogy I've seen to that is saying like, let's not predict the the weather for tomorrow <laughs> based on you know our you know years and years of climate data or the current hurricane bearing down on your coast. Right. No, let's average out the last two weeks worth of weather and say, okay, it'll probably be nice tomorrow. Yes, and and this is why it gets worse. Rates of sea level rise may be extrapolated linearly to estimate future rates of rise, but not 
includes scenarios of accelerated rates of sea level rise. Rates of sea level rise shall not be one rate for the entire coast, but rather the division shall consider separately oceanfront and estuarine shorelines. So so they're t- saying the, this is how sea levels are going to rise, and the only way you're allowed to say sea levels are going to rise. Right, and they're also saying that you can't just say that it's going to be two feet across the board. You also have to say that, oh, the estuaries um, are going to rise a little bit, but, but if it's not an estuary, it's not going to rise that much because the estuaries are going to take the... So, in other words, across the shoreline, they're going to say, well, that 5,000-square-foot home that's right on the beach, it's only going to go up a foot or so, uh, so it's not going to be affected. But further down the beach, linearly speaking, it's probably going to go up five feet. So <laughs> that 2,000-square-foot that two, house, that's going to bite it. So you're going to have to uh, get flood insurance for you know that house but this 5000 square foot house that oh i don't know maybe a senator or a congressperson or a legislator owns or has a timeshare in or is a partner in they don't have to get the the uh the fully expensive insurance but they can just in case a hurricane comes but you're going to force it on the these on the other people. I, do, I don't think... That's a cynical... For people thing. who are dealing with a coastal commission, it's odd that they don't know how water works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's that's why... That's, so what they've done is they've just legislated how scientists are allowed to do their work. They've basically said, we don't care what information you have. You are only allowed to do it linearly. Now, a good scientist, or rather a savvy scientist, will figure out how to make <laughs> a non-linear sea rise fit into a linear path. So, <laughs> so they may be able to get around it by just changing the math and making it easy as in a, a nice slope, you know. <laughs> now, one one of the things I was reading where... The, why this is an issue is because most scientists agree that an exponential growth yeah. is more accurate. Exactly. Because, you know, you, if you've got a linear, linear, you're assuming the same factors are ex- the same way, affecting sea level rise in the same exact way as time goes by. Right. But exponential shows that there's a kind of a feedback loop as av- as more sea levels rise and there's more heat that means more glaciers melt and there's less reflection back into the the right the, the glaciers system. start melting faster so the water comes off it faster and what happens also is when you start getting more water the the land starts absorbing the water right so at the beginning no problem land absorbs the water but once it gets soaked the water has to keep going over so you get more flash floods. I mean, you, you see, what was it, the History Channel, they've got, you know, uh, Serial Killer Earth, and they show the, fat, the, the flash yeah, the flash floods and stuff. And we have them in Texas and San Antonio all the time because we get so much rain so fast that, one... The water table gets soaked up, and then it just you, overflows. It the ground can only absorb so much. So much at a certain rate. And then, so it just, it goes, it's got to go somewhere. It can't go into the ground. But then, once it gets totally soaked, it keeps going, right? So there's, there's 
two things that are happening there. <laughs> um, so this is just stupid. And um, uh, uh, one other thing on that linear versus exponential is that the exponential they've 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 basically you they've developed these models because they've said, all right, let's go back and look at history pre nineteen hundred and say, okay, we saw these changes in sea levels. How did they? How did they? What line did they fit? And they right. did not fit straight level lines, and that's without all the industrial stuff that we're throwing into the air right. still nowadays. Right. And, and rarely, I think, does anything in nature follow a linear, easily comprehended path. Yeah. So it sounds like <laughs> that these people on who wrote this bill not only have an agenda, but don't understand the actual science itself. Yeah. And, and they're just want ignoring. To pretend it. like they're saying, "Well, we we allowed for climate change and and sea level rises. We understand that it's going to happen. We just want it to be happen in a politically expedient way." Yeah, yeah. And so it, it seems to me that it's it's a cynical ploy. One, just to protect their investment investments in the short term, uh, as well as the the developers to just go ahead and do whatever they want because they've been paid or they're looking to uh, make some quick money realizing that in you know 10 years possibly that portion of their development is going to be underwater. Ah, hey, you know, we were just following following the rules. Uh, it's it's very cynical. Uh, the the other thing that they says that they that, that they, they says they says that they says Welcome to graduate school, Gary. Yep. The other thing that the bill says, any state agency, board, commission, institution, or other public entity, blah, 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 that develops a policy addressing sea level rise that includes a rate of sea level rise shall use only the rates of rise developed by the Division of Coastal Management as approved by the commission. If the commission has not approved a sea level rise rate, then the sea level rise policy shall not use a rate of sea level rise. Again, this goes back to the development. Right. They can decide that if they're if they are developers and they're on the commission, they can deny a sea level rise that shows that their development is going to be underwater. All right. Again, cynical ploy. And then if the commission chooses to adopt Rates of sea level rise for the coastal area as developed by the division. All rates shall be adopted as rules. Blah 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 blah. So, very. It's a bad bill. It's it's a very cynical bill, and <laughs> you can't legislate reality. Right. <laughs> the the whole purpose of science is to tell you what reality is doing, what's happening. Sometimes it's wrong. Quite often, we don't have all. All the numbers, we don't have all the details, and we there's so many unintended consequences because it's a huge system. So the models that we've built from the 40s uh, have been refined and refined and refined to where we are now, and we're still refining them because we're realizing that you know stuff that we don't know about uh, the smokestacks from a coal plant can affect the way the rainfall is coming in, you know, 150 miles away. All kinds of stuff's going on, and we don't have all of the answers, but we're getting there. The legislators need to use science to make policy, not make policy to, make to, science. to determine science. science. It's just inane. It pisses it's, me off. Well, this is just the <laughs> 
pissed off podcast tonight. Yes, it is. Woo-hoo! So great. What are you pissed off about? Um, I I'm actually not pissed. I'm then sorry. Then you're banished. <laughs> well, this is the banished. Pissed. Come back when you're man angry. Well, fuck you. <laughs> there we go. This is well, the pissed the, off okay, podcast. Okay, okay, okay. There were people who were pissed in this story. But the reason why it's a good story is because they're not as pissed anymore because of what was done to make them not pissed. And for our uh, drinking listeners, we're not talking about being drunk. Right. We're talking about being upset. Angry. Fish shaking. (laughs) So here's the backstory. A couple weeks ago, Jason Alexander, famous from uh, Seinfeld... And, um, I don't know, let's say Conan the Barbarian. Um, What? (laughs) I don't know much about his career, okay? I know he was on Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Well, he was... He's best known from Seinfeld. Just let's leave it there. Yes. He was on The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson uh, in late May. And um, they, they, Craig Ferguson is a very improvisational talk show host. So he tears up the cards that people of the pre-selected questions that someone's manager says, here, ask about this. Hmm. You know, the pre-formatted anecdotes, he tears them up and, and just talks about whatever they're going to talk about. Well, Jason Alexander and Craig Ferguson got on the subject of sports and they got up on the subject of cricket. And in talking about cricket... Jason Alexander essentially off the cuff said, you know, he didn't he didn't like cricket very much. He, it seemed a little gay. Right. So he did this. He, he kind of pantomimed a little bit about, you know, the bowler coming up and then there were their white suits and the tea and everything. It was a little on the effeminate side of the acting. Yes. It wasn't like. Um, the other guy from Seinfeld, uh, what's it, Michael Richards, screaming, was it, he screamed he, at he somebody? Was, he, or, was, he went on a racist rant about yeah, black people, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's nothing anywhere close to that. It was just, in, it, it was on the insensitive it was, side. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a rant, it was a joke. Yeah. And, it, and had, it was a poor joke at that. Yeah. yeah. Like, so some of his Twitter followers and probably friends said, yeah, you know what, that wasn't really good. That wasn't cricket. Yes, exactly. That was not very cricket. Very good, Gary. Here's a Scooby treat. <laughs> Narf. <laughs> Scooby treat. So as a result of this, Jason Alexander has released an apology. Huh? Now, in celebrity circles and political circles, most of the time when you get an, scare quotes, apology, you get a non-pology. Or it's an... A apology. It's an eh apology. Where it's It's more of a. I'm I'm sorry you felt that way. I'm sorry you were offended at the joke I made. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sorry that you didn't understand. Yeah, you know that I'm smarter than you. That kind of or or that you're really not worth my time. What I did wasn't bad at all. What's wrong with you people? I have gay friends. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes I even let them use the bathroom. Now, (laughs) now the thing is. Jason Alexander's apology included a lot of the same elements as those non-apologies, but he did it in the right way. He said, you know, I talked to my gay friends and said, well, was I being 
inappropriate here, and some of them said, well, I don't know. I mean, you were joking, it's it's not so bad. But when they talked about it further, they really kind of went into the meat and potatoes of how using a pejorative like gay can have all these connotations about, you know, it wasn't just that he said gay, but he was acting out cricket in a very effeminate way. And so and many... And associating that with the word gay. Exactly. And so many gay people are accused of being girly, and there's a lot of bullying involved. And, and Jason Alexander wrote about the idea of uh, his process of wh- how he came to realize that, you know what, that was inappropriate and I was wrong. Yeah. You know, he, he said, I, you know, it, he did use the, I work with gay people all the time, I should have known better. But those non-apologies never have that, I should have known better. It's, mm. well, I have gay friends, so I can't possibly be racist. Yeah, we joke about this all the time. Yeah, exactly. So you, he, he went through his process, and it was a full-on actual apology. It was, I understand where I was wrong. This is where I was coming from. He, he, he talked about that he had this... Um, he had been, he'd gone to Australia and he was talking about sports at one point and he talked about like rugby being a lot more of a sports sport than our football mm-hmm. American football with the pads and the pigskin ball right and he's absolutely right about that where there's no there's no pads <laughs> it's a lot more brutal it's a lot more fast paced yeah you want to donate blood play rugby yeah <laughs> but he kind of joked that he he found cricket to be a little infeminine. Right, which would go over better in Australia because right. and, and, the whole butch thing. And that's, that's really about. kind of where he left it. But yeah. when he was on Craig Ferguson, which is you have to really think fast of what's what are you going to say? How are you going to respond to make the audience laugh and keep the conversation going? He's like, he thought to himself, I've got this anecdote I can talk about where, you know, oh yeah, I heard this joke at some point. And and he because of that fast paced moment he couldn't think of well should I say this or not, but right. he's learned. You can tell through this apology that he did it right. Yeah, and, and we'll have a link to that apology in the show notes and on the blog. Yes, yes, we will. Because <laughs> it's a very it's a it's a very good it's it's how an apology should be made. Yes, <laughs> thoroughly and sincerely. Yeah, sincere and convincing, as I say. Yep. And that means that next week he's going to be on some other talk show and do it again. <laughs> Hopefully Because I already apologized. <laughs> I've got this great apology I've already written. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you know, you hear all these, these stories of, you know, yet, yet even more pastors. It's not just the one guy in North Carolina, but there are other people around the country who are, who are just saying, oh, you know, my flesh is tempted by the thought of killing gays, or... Oh, God, that uh, guy. Yeah, and then there was another guy <laughs> who was saying, you know, I think the government should kill the gays because that's what it says in the Bible. Yeah. And, yeah, well, obviously actually, He's hanging out with Bradley Dean. <laughs> technically, this guy's right. That is what it says Bradley in the Bible. Bradley Dean but. is the guy that is suing Rachel Maddow for quoting him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he is the guy who said that... Islamic countries were basically more righteous because they did put gays to death, and basically the United States was um, whipped. <laughs> Sounds fairly Westboro Baptist churchy. He's the guy who who has that you can run but can't hide ministry 
yikes. Um, he's we've talked about him before. He's the guy who comes into schools and puts on the Christian rock concerts. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the guy who who gave the prayer for like the Wisconsin um, legislature in his tracksuit. Oh, that oh, guy. Okay. I remember him. That guy. Yeah, yeah. The guy, and like I said, the guy who's suing Rachel Maddow for quoting him. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to be a public figure and getting mad about shit you say. There's <laughs> <laughs> only so much you can do about that. Yeah. yeah, these these pastors, those kind of guys, they're not going to apologize, but I think they could learn from someone like this who's who you know was not on the wrong side of history. Because Jason Alexander is very pro-social, pro-gay, whatever, but he he made a mistake. But okay, and he learned did the difference. The difference between there's Jason a big Alex chasm is, between their two attitudes. The the right it, it, one you have to admit and realize that you made a mistake. Uh, politicians don't want to do that because making mistakes is seen as somehow this is changing the subject completely. But politicians aren't allowed to make mistakes anymore. Uh, Obama's not allowed to make mistakes. Bush certainly wasn't allowed to make mistakes. Mitt Romney can't make mistakes. It's like the there's a mystique and almost a religion growing around our leaders now, right? Where and we see it with the religious right. where they are divinely inspired to run. God has chosen these people to be uh, our leaders. And then when they lose, well, that was God's plan for me. That's yes. To... It was for them to learn something. But when they win, they're they're there because God wants them to be. And that's in the Bible, you know, the leaders have all been chosen by God. Right. Weird how they don't accept that for Obama, uh, for the right wing, <laughs> rather. Well, um, that's because he's not Christian. He's a Muslim. Right, but, no, Muslim, but it, it doesn't matter. Muslim secret atheist. But it doesn't matter, because the Bible says that God chooses who is going to win. Now, it may be... You know, but it's would, like fossils. They were, Obama yeah, was exactly. put here to... As, to, as to, an example. To exactly. test our faith. Exactly. Now, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about this on my other podcast. But, but what you were talking <laughs> about earlier is that I remember one of my lessons from, like, high school history or whatever, was that one of the things that really humanized JFK and made him stand out as someone who people thought was a good leader is that when he fucked up with the Bay of Pigs, he manned up to it. Sorry, he he womaned up to it and said... (laughs) I screwed up. He I was up wrong. Point. He he took ownership of his mistake. Exactly. Yes. And people said, that's a leader. That is a leader. And that's, that's someone who, even if they make a mistake, they say, you know what? I've learned from it. I was wrong. Yeah. But nobody is even close to willing right. to now, admit that. Now nowadays. it's all scapegoating. Oh, well, this was uh, General Bob's decision. Uh, we're going to you know scapegoat him. And, 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 but this is... I completely off the subject. So, no, no, it's on the subject of sincere apologies versus yeah. not. Because if you're not even willing to make an apology, that makes whatever you do say or, not anywhere and if uh, you're the not, wrong if, kind of thing. And if you're not willing to recognize that you may have made a mistake or that there was a flaw in the idea or, or any number of things, which is why science is so good, because the scientists will take ownership of their... Th- hypotheses and they will fight for it tooth and nail but when it's been proved that they're wrong 
Generally speaking, they will back up and go, oh, geez, how could I miss that? Eventually. Eventually. And, and that's part of human nature. It takes time, yes. but the process is very, works. Yes, the human... The, sci- the process of science is very human. Sometimes it takes all the old scientists dying off, but it I does work. I was just about to say that, because... <laughs> sure, I mean... In uh, anthropology, we have a lot of that, with especially, like, the coming to America story. There is a ton of evidence saying that people came to the Americas via boats and everything else, but we've really kind of had to wait until, quote, the grand old men of, of anthropology have died off to say, you know, yeah, the Bering Strait, probably some people did come across it, but we have more evidence for this. And the same thing with uh, asteroids and meteors hitting the Earth. Didn't think it was possible. In fact, it wasn't until... Um, the movie Armageddon? No. Uh, when <laughs> when uh, Shoemaker, Shoemaker Levy hit Jupiter, that it was determined then, oh... They because they thought that Jupiter and Saturn and all those would clean up everything, and right. But when it hit Jupiter and they saw the damage that it could do, it's like oh, Holy you know. Shit. And we, despite the meteor crater, meteorite crater in Arizona, we know that that you know. Despite all the craters on the moon to show that stuff still gets well to but, Earth. Well, there. I mean, part of the theory was that the the moon somehow magically got in front of all that stuff. Well, it does help some. Well, it helps a lot. See how many things that but, fucking hit the moon? Yes, but, but not, we're talking billions of years, so, yeah. you know, some of those... You know. But anyway, it's it's all of these ideas that until you get some sort of uh, real proof or, as you said, let the, the, the old let people the grand old men die, die off. out so that the new ideas can actually be confirmed or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. so that's a good start. I'm so I'm so happy to see a Hollywood person admit mistake, right? And say a genuine apology, not just Very. a "I'm sorry, I offended you." Not just "Oh well, I have gay friends, so it couldn't have possibly been offensive." Or or a statement from their manager, right? Or yeah. a tweet. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Oops. Or it was really all the the female cops' fault or something like yeah. that. Or yeah. It's all those crazy Jews or, you know, some conspiracy It's always theory. the Jews, women, and the gays. Don't you know that? Well, if you're Mel Gibson. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess we're done. Yeah. But you know what? It's it's amazing that we got an apology out of Hollywood from someone in Hollywood. More than that, it's a miracle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Congratulations, Gary. <laughs> Speaking of miracles. Very nice transition. <laughs> we had a song contest uh, that happened the last six weeks. So that's not going to be monthly. It's going to be like... Well, it's every six as weeks, soon so. as we can get to it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so we, we did songs For on mir- m- miracles. Miracle May. Yeah. And I just I just realized I could have done a song about Miracle Whip. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't thinking. I'll need that. So. Uh, Next month. Donna, we'll turn it over to you and you can determine. I think I'm going first this time, right? Yes, you are going first. So let's hear Gary's song first. It's a miracle. 
dark They went searching Searching everywhere Seen moments ago But couldn't have gone far They finally found the keys in the seat of the car It's a miracle That they found the keys It's a miracle They were lost among the trees She was failing class She needed an Ada pass With a tutor she'd speak So she studied for weeks Got to his last buck 
Okay, Gary. That was my song. That was your song. It was a really great song. Yay! Okay, so <laughs> tell me, was it a Queen or a Journey influence? Because kind of got a little of both in there. Well, I, I was originally going to try for a Queen kind of Bohemian Rhapsody kind of, and I just I ran out of time. But as I was writing it, it kind of it, Journey just came to mind. And so it should have been called Don't Stop Believing in Miracles? Something like that. I mean, I, I wasn't listening to Journey. I was listening to Queen. I saw a, uh, a short documentary with Brian May talking about the, the recording of Bohemian Rhapsody. And so that was kind of inspiration because they, they broke it down and, and the whole thing. But no, Journey really had nothing to do with it. It just kind of turned out that way. <laughs> so just out of curiosity, how hard did you really push on this song? How, how I mean... Was this a, a difficult subject to tackle? Um, no, no, no. I just thir- threw it together in thirty seconds. <clears throat> uh, it took me uh, a couple hours to write the words, but it's mainly once I got the the tack I wanted to take on 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 the story. That's when everything fell into place because I, I thought I'll, I'll just use ideas where you know the diminishing the word miracle and then realizing that miracles are, are, you know, one time things. So they're completely, you can't reproduce them. And then people say, Oh, it's a miracle. I found my keys. It's like, Oh no, (laughs) (laughs) no, it's not at all really. And as I started thinking about, I, I, I thought about going towards the more scientific side and talking about, the the law of large, large numbers and and but I just threw that at the end because I thought it'd be funny just to talk about people saying it's a miracle and it's not mm-hmm. at all. Well, really, it's kind of all the questions that I had. So let's listen to. <laughs> I don't Do you have, have any questions? questions. I I assumed Donna was going to interview <laughs> you for hours and hours. So well, yeah. I'm glad she didn't because I don't really have any answers. Oh, okay. Well, and I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm tired of kind of asking the same questions yeah. every month. It's just kind of one of those things. Of- I also like to apologize for the sound of the uh, hi hats on that one because I didn't actually set up any drums, so those are all samples. Sorry. Anyway. Okay, so now we will listen to Greg's song In the Beginning.
Okay, so, Greg, on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with this work? Um, I... Maybe she'd send out these questions before. <laughs> I I liked the bigger production that I was able to produce this time all on my own, Yay. and um, you know. But if we were to redo it for say the Skeptic Wire album at the end of the year, I would want to redo most of it with a lot better production value. But I think the biggest mistake I made in this song. I'm happy with the lyrics, the tone, the the story arc of obviously Old Testament miracles, New Testament miracles, and then a kid growing up in New Jersey saying, "Where the hell are all the miracles? I don't believe this shit." <laughs> it's a little autobiographical. I was just about to ask that. <laughs> I'm happy with all that. The one thing I am that I would I am very unhappy with is that I wrote it in the key of E. So that awkward key change. <laughs> not the, No, it's not the key change in and of itself that's the problem. It's the fact that I didn't realize that how high I would have to go <laughs> singing-wise on those high notes at the end of the uh, the kind of the chorus part because I'm a bass baritone and it was in the it was done in the key of E. So when it goes up the full step, it goes to the key of F sharp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's you know it, it was really tough for me to sing that. So if we again if we redo this, not only will we add more production values, but we're doing the fucking key of C, <laughs> bringing it down Always a good two key. steps. Yeah. <laughs> so since that key change and the the borderline falsetto that you had to do was obviously the most difficult part, what was the easiest? Um. The easiest, I think, was actually putting together the lyrics. Because as Gary said on his, once I had the idea of, I want to write about the fact that when I was growing up, the biggest beef I had with religion was there are all these wonderful miracle stories in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but that's not what the world is. You don't see these wonderful, miraculous people. I mean, Gary's songs was about these minor miracles that are people always telling they're good, that, big miracles. <laughs> that they're awesome, these amazing things. Where you know, mine was the opposite. Where they're, the they're, you know, people were coming back from the dead. You know, seas were rising. People could live in a whale for a week. Well, as long as you the know. seas were rising in Galilee and not in North Carolina, it's yes. all good. <laughs> the seas were parting. Sorry. <laughs> you know, linearly, of course. You, you had God stopping the sun in the sky for an entire day, and now it's. Oh, water comes out of a statue. <laughs> or, oh, look, I found my keys. You know, it's a great metaphor that Gary came up with. And our songs kind of mesh well together in that, in that way of saying, you know, miracle schmiracle. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I have one question for the both of you. If you'd had a major crash this week, your computer just decided to eat itself, whatever storm came and attacked the house, I don't know, whatever. And you had to redo these songs because you had no other copies. Would you recreate it? Would you give up, or would you do something else? Hmm. Uh, I that's a good question. <laughs> I don't really. I'd probably recreate it. I, I like it. You know, I'd I'd, re- <laughs> I'd, I'd redo uh, the, the vocals. All of those vocals were pretty much one take, first take. Uh, except I did a second take on the main vocal. But, you know, I just 
running out of time. <laughs> Get it done. Yeah, I, I, I kind of did the same thing, but more for a different purpose. I wanted to go for more of a live sound yeah. with mine, so I, I left in, unless I fucked up the words, I left in some of the imperfections to give it that kind of live gospel choir sound. Yeah. But but I, I I would record it again, and there are some changes that I would make, but, I, I mean, the arrangement as far as... I, I have three different tempos, and I have the modulation at the end. I, I would keep all of that. The, the basic idea I'd keep, but uh, the <clears throat> the orchestral arrangement I would change. Okay. But not much. Well, I, I know exactly what I would do. Because, <laughs> you know, I came up with the idea for the song like a week and a half ago. I wrote the, the lyrics in one day and started recording as fast as I could. To, because I had this new idea that I wanted to do. But when we originally had this challenge, I had some lyrics back from November that I had written that I thought were very appropriate for Miracle. So I had already recorded those. Yeah. <laughs> so actually... He has a second song. I nice. did two songs this month. Awesome. In the theme. So the other one is called The Argument. And depending on how long this episode is, you can either hear it at the end of the episode... Or it'll be up on our soundcloud.com slash skepticwire account where you can listen to these songs from this month and previous months. Yep. Uh, and I guess that's it for tonight's episode. So no lightning round this, although lightning I guess... Round, lightning round, lightning round, lightning our, round, Our lightning answering round. the questions were kind of lightning round for us. Uh, off the cuff speaking. Sure, yes. We, we'll, have a, we'll have a new song challenge in about uh, four to six weeks. No, just exactly like when you ordered stuff out of comic books. Four <laughs> to six weeks delivery. And if any of our listeners have ideas, go onto our Facebook page and like us yeah. and or, post a, a something on there and say... Or, or give us lyrics and we'll... we'll see what we can do. Yeah. That would be interesting if Gary and I were each given a set of lyrics by some third person and we both had to make a song uh, out of it. That would be fun. Yeah, I think so. If if you guys have poems or whatever that you might want music to, or or just themes that you want us to try this month or in coming months, yeah. Oh, there we go. Beginning and end. <laughs> <laughs> and or, that's Callie. Callie's uh, shoehorning us. I think she's <laughs> no, wait, trying to book, kick us no, wait, out. Book, book ending us, not shoehorning. Book, book ending. ending. So speaking of endings. The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the PodPosted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. Okay, okay. <laughs> How about this? In Germany, they're they're not they call still call them brown tubes, brown tubes, <laughs> catheter rate. <laughs> no, brown tubes are the other oh, wait, side. That's the other side. <laughs> <laughs> we are so immature. Um, but it was actually one of the first times that they used um this dating technique and.
oh, I'm gonna just die. Was it speed dating? No. <laughs> Was it uh, personal Flor- acts? Florence. It's a fl- like it's a flowers and chocolate. <laughs> I'm well, not helping. As far as creationists are concerned, the only dating you can actually ever use is carbon dating. So why don't you go with that one? Well, no, no it's carbon dating, and and since you have to have been there, uh, dates on a calendar. Otherwise, yeah. you weren't there. Funny enough, no one was at creation. Yeah. Um, We're going to pause for a second while Donna Google. Because I, I That's have good. to... I, for some reason, I'm just humming. <clears throat> you know what it is? It was that, it was that damn ice cream I had. Dairy does make you flemmy. 